0: Welcome to 2 Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Miami forty-two to thirty-five. I was blown away with what I saw at the start of that game. What a wild Saturday afternoon! Robbie, how are you feeling?
1: Hey, it's a it's a W. It was a close W. It seemed towards the end, and um, couldn't have started off any better for the Hokies, and it ended the way that we would always, always hope is with a W. So that's, you know, take it for what it is.
0: That's right, man. Give us a cheers.
1: So a couple things, uh, uh, one, obviously a big cheers to the team, um, came out, played with a lot of heart and, um, really showed during a tough week that they were committed to the team and each other and really making the program as much of a success this year as they can uh, amidst, you know, probably one of the harder weeks, I would imagine, over the Fuente era and having Definitely. come back. I mean, maybe after the ODU loss, but it was, it was probably yeah. definite cheers uh, to them. A cheers to all the folks that did the, um, whether they did it for it or just did it anyway, sent out the positive tweets during the week to the players, which I thought was really cool. Um, that was for, uh, I sent out the tickets to the winner this morning, and uh, hopefully he'll be getting those soon uh, for my seats for the game. So, you know, thank you and appreciate everybody sending those out. Some people obviously missed the memo of, of why that was going on, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. And then um, on a uh, a positive but a sadder note, uh, Danny Joe, if you're into that kind of thing, prayers and all that kind of stuff, she had to go to the hospital last night. If you remember, we did kind of the fundraiser for her. Uh, Miss all her, um, you know, medical issues. She had to go to the hospital last night, but found out this morning, talked to her dad a little bit ago. She seems to be doing okay right now. And uh, just really happy to to hear about that. She's a huge, huge Virginia Tech basketball fan and and has a big uh, social media presence and a lot of interactions and relationships with both probably current and, and, and former players. So, uh, was happy to hear about that as well. So, three very positive positive things uh, in their own right. So I figured I'd uh, triple it up this week and and go with that for the cheers.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to hear she's doing better, man. Cheers. So, what what a game! What a what a crazy game that was on Saturday. Virginia Tech pulled off the win despite. All the talk last week, including us, who I, I personally didn't think we had much of a shot, and that was based on everything we'd seen this year, and then we we got to see something we hadn't seen, and that was Hendon Hooker starting at QB. We talked a little bit about it on the podcast, but it wasn't official uh, until the day after, and even that official was just because of Trey Turner's Instagram, otherwise... Maybe no one would have known until the start of the game that Hooker was indeed the starter. Uh, it gave our offense a totally new dimension, and, and that was really cool. That was my first news and note, just the fact that the news comes out a day later that he's actually going to be the starter.
1: Well, it, I guess we kind of saw it coming a little bit, and there was a little bit about the Willis injury. I don't know how much it played into it. I don't know if anybody has really decoupled what the decision was or why it was made, but in any case... Good on him. He came out, had the start, looked confident for a guy that hasn't started before and just really happy for him to come out and have uh, a really good game against a a really tough
0: defense. Absolutely. And we're going to get more into that in a little bit. Linebacker Keyshawn Artis is going to redshirt the rest of the season. That's the plan. Anyway, Dylan Rivers has been moved back to Mike from backer to help with the depth behind Ashby. uh, And, you don't really need him at backer because of the emergence of Tisdale, who is really building a case to start over Dax at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the movement around there has been pretty, pretty outrageous. I came into the season thinking, you know, Dax was going to be the guy. He's Bud Foster's guy. It's Bud Foster's last season. And we've seen a lot of shifting that's gone in and players have stepped up and other players have been, shown a lot of progress throughout the season or at least uh, a physical ability, but haven't been as keyed in on what they should be during the game. So, um, you know, we'll, with that red shirt, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening here. I'm excited. I think it means, you know, competition is usually a good thing, right? It's, it's usually not a bad thing. Uh, and we have, uh, we have quite a few talented guys and some people are just maybe being a little bit better on the field or seeing the field a little bit better Probably a better way to put it, and
0: and 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 they're grouped so closely in in grades right now that you really needed to separate either Dax or artists with a red shirt to get an extra year between them and Ashby. So this is really helpful, you know, if they all finish out their careers at Tech because they'll be staggered in such a way that it will benefit that Mike spot.
1: Yeah, and they can spell each other right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with depth at that position. They would probably. Some people have already had to leave it on the field as (laughs) as we'll probably (laughs) talk about. It would, uh, it won't hurt to have, uh, those guys, um, a little bit separated,
0: but also have some depth. Yeah, for sure. Scary moment for Deshaun Crawford in the game. It looked like he might've suffered a serious leg injury, but he avoided that. At least that's the way the coaches put it. He's probably not going to play versus Rhode Island. I wouldn't expect it, but uh, he's a tough guy, and he's really been our best defensive tackle, maybe even our best defensive lineman. He's been really good, so we don't want to be losing him for the bulk of ACC play, so let him sit out Rhode Island. If you have to sit him against UNC to get that extra bye week tacked on to the recovery period, maybe you do that too, but we need him back ASAP.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's been uh, yeah, fantastic. The the line is growing, and it's it's... It's, it hasn't been great, but he has definitely been a bright spot at that position. So, um, I really hope that he, you know, weird does not play. I hope he just takes takes the week off and gets healthy, assuming that the injury is not is not bad, like uh, the coaches alluded to. In the pick'em,
0: our very own Robbie Dowling tied for the lead with Michael Domabil yet again, and Ryan Haynes eleven correct picks for you guys. Nice job, man. 11 in a row
1: two weeks and two weeks in a row i got 11 so uh i should have bet that with real money i would have been (laughs) you know 22 for 30 that would have been uh not bad pickings but uh if it wasn't for that missed week i think i would be in better shape so i am having to make up for uh for lost ground and the people at the top are not making it easy for
0: me no they're not man you're up to 30th but i would really think you'd be higher after this that's a nice performance 22 out of 30 (laughs) um dama is all alone in first place overall he he's like won the week the last two weeks so he's he's got a he's got a nice little lead over uh sam and some other people i think sarah's in third now so she's doing real well too i will be on my honeymoon the next two weeks after this week so robbie has graciously agreed to continue the podcast i don't know in what capacity if he'll have guests if he'll, he'll do it solo and I, I don't think he knows at this point but he's letting me uh, enjoy this little hiatus i'm gonna miss the recap of the rhode island game and the unc preview but we have a bye week after that so when i come back i will be able to give my thoughts on the unc game uh prior to notre dame so we'll we'll go from there uh i wish you the best during those two weeks bud <laughs>
1: We'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm not sure yet if we're going to bring anybody on, but I don't think we've missed an in-season podcast yet. No, uh, I don't in think we five have. years. So, you guys, I will absolutely shorten the episode so you don't have to listen to my voice uh, for long, uh, winded speeches or anything along those lines. But uh, I, I can't feel like I, I feel like I got to keep it going, like at least the streak. Maybe I'll only do a short like 30-minute segment or 20-minute segment, or maybe I'll find somebody to bring on and we'll do it that way. I, I haven't figured it out yet, but we'll, it's going to get recorded, something. Yeah. What it is, I'm not really sure.
0: And I felt like, no, it's not a great time to take the honeymoon during the middle of football season. However, when I come back, the weekend I come back is a bye, and the first weekend is Rhode Island. So it's, it's about as best you can do it. It's just that I'm missing a very key game. Uh, in terms of previewing and recapping, is is the UNC game, and in that we're going to talk about it at the end. I'll, I'll give my a few thoughts on the preview since I won't be here next week, but it's an important game for bowl eligibility and and ACC standings and everything. So let's hop into this game recap. We built a twenty eight nothing lead on the back of four first quarter turnovers by Miami, two rush TDs, one by Hooker and one by Mitchell, and two pass TDs by Hooker, which both went to Keene gave us that four-touchdown lead. Miami added another turnover in the second quarter, and the D was able to keep them out of the end zone until the final tick of the clock (laughs) went off in the first half. Uh, They scored on the Hail Mary. Uh, I put Hail Mary in quotes because it was only 38 yards, but it was like the typical straight-up bomb down into the tip drill, and that was just so annoying.
1: Yeah, I saw some some comments from a lot of people that – should have swatted it down i in that moment i don't really think anybody's really expecting that you have that many defensive people back there it it was a complete flu it it was as much of a fluke catch as a as our first interception when waller caught the ball Mm -hmm. and you know and granted that was great coverage by both of them on that play but in that moment i don't think think anybody has going through their brain that it's going to get tipped up in the air and then caught by a UNC player. But talk about fluke. I mean, it, it was a Hail Mary by all standards, except the distance, like you yeah, said.
0: Yeah, for sure. At the half, it was 28 to seven. We had three consecutive three and outs to start the second half. Miami put a TD on the board early on an eight-play, 88-yard drive, Brevin Jordan with the TD reception on that one. It's 28-14, entering the fourth quarter. That's when the fireworks really started. We scored with a, another pass to Keene, but Miami scored the next three touchdowns, going for two on one and converting, but missing the PAT on the final touchdown, so it was 35-35. to 35. We responded in a big way, going 63 yards in two minutes and 13 seconds and scoring on the three-yard rush by McLeese. That drive started with a decent return by King, had a big throw by Hooker to Hazelton, and the TD was set up by another great play by Keene. We had a 42-35 lead. Miami brought it down to our 10-yard line, and partially due to a penalty. They took a shot at the end zone, incomplete, game over, ESPN cuts away, ref says, you know, it's game's over, right? And it, But it wasn't. The play was reviewed. They put one second back on the clock. Miami takes one more shot that none of us saw because it wasn't on TV, and the ball was knocked down by Tisdale. So it's it's just amazing that we ended up winning 42-35, but there was a chance that an hour after the game ended, we might have all realized that we would have lost.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I joked with you that it it seemed <laughs> – not in the same way whatsoever, but reminiscent of the Duke Miami game with all the laterals on the on the punt return, and they end up winning the game at the end. That you know we we could have ended up losing just an absolute fluke game that was off. There were bad calls there. I've I've seen. I haven't uh, like gone through it because I don't care that much. We got the W. That there should have been a runoff on the clock. There should have been like a lot of calls that didn't end up playing out the same way. But anyway. The, the worst part of it was that, you know, the announcers called the game. They said it was over. Then ESPN automatically flips over. And you could hear, like, drubbings, like, happening right as the cut goes away about, like, oh, well, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, like, it's the Tennessee game, right? They, they click over and you're like, I'm sitting there going, if they
0: flip this back and we've lost the game, I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Well, it reminded me of, do you remember the Mario Manningham game? Michigan versus Penn State. And Penn State was winning almost the whole game, I think. And Lloyd Carr did like the the same finger that Manny Diaz did, like one second. They put a second back on the clock at some point on the drive. And they threw the pass to Manningham, and Michigan won the game. And that's when I saw Manny's finger go up. And then the refs were like, it's over. I was like, ah, screw them. You know, it's over. And they switched to coverage. I'm like, we won. Me, me and my buddies, I was down in Richmond with a lot of tech guys at my buddy Nick's house. And we're all high-fiving and happy. And they move on. And, and we turn around and turn the TV off. And you know, went in the other room. I don't even remember. And um, we found out later, like an hour or two later, that they added another second on the clock and ran another play.
1: Well, it's interesting because it, it, uh, sometimes on those types of plays, especially this season, because there's been a bad, a lot of bad calls that have happened uh, and it's been talked about in a lot of games, the, the refs will just call the game over anyway. Even if it's a bad call, they'll just say the game's over. And that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought that there was a chance that there was still one second left, but the refs were going to do what they have done this season and in other seasons where they're just like, yeah, game's over. Like, that's it. Like People are already on the field. We're calling it. Like, you know, we'll deal with the repercussion afterwards. In this case, it feels like the backlash that's happened all season with all the, you know, the refs like getting called out by their conferences on bad calls and things like that, that they decided to not do that, to actually get the play right, whatever whether whatever you think is right in that case and actually play it which I thought was interesting. It was almost a backlash from the first five games of the season.
0: And when I was watching it, that one second, like I was going slow-mo through the replay of the game, and the ball is like simultaneously hitting the ground as that one second is disappearing from the screen. But you have to keep in mind that that's the ESPN clock and not the game clock. But it it wasn't even a second left. It was like, 0.1 seconds left like it was so such a minuscule amount of time but I do think there was a a fraction of a second left on the clock which Miami got lucky but ultimately the play was well covered if I saw a clip of the final play someone posted online and Tisdale knocked it down no problem but if you looked behind him there was two Hokies on the on the guy the ball was going to so it was it was never going to get there
1: yeah and they yeah it was but it was still it was a anxious amount of time before they showed that replay that I was a little bit worried because um, who knows what, uh, what transpired on. on They had to get everybody back off the field, all of that. And then Miami had time to reset probably and, and make it happen.
0: As many people have said, if we had lost in that manner, say they score the TD, do a two-point conversion, we lose or lose in overtime, that would just be that would just be what would happen to us in the last year of the last 18 months, but it didn't. And maybe that's a sign of good things to come. I hope so. So the story of the game, in my opinion, was the turnovers our big early lead uh, and the play of hooker. Those are the three biggest things. And then secondary to that would be us nearly blowing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would, I would have to agree with all those things. I, and uh, just the, resilience by the team to come out and and play hard in a circumstance on the road. The fan base was, was behind Miami, even though I didn't expect it to be, it was, you know, there was a decent amount of people there, plenty of middle fingers that were caught on TV as, uh, as (laughs) Miami fans are just the worst, man. Yeah. But no, I think, I think along with that, the, the story of the players coming out and playing hard and um, in a lot of the commentary that they made after the game, which is, Some of it was, yeah, we have bought in. I don't care what you guys say. Like, you guys are the fans. You're not in the locker room. You know, they came out on on Twitter and other places and said, you know, we have bought into it. So, anyway, we'll cover that as we get through, you know, the rest of the game and then thinking about what's going to
0: happen moving forward. Yeah, I want to start by talking about Hooker. He really surprised me. He seemed to spark the offense. I made it clear in the last podcast, I did not expect him to perform well against Miami, particularly because they defend the run really well. Miami was only giving up like 60 yards a game against the rush and Hooker had 76 by himself. So they really made a good game plan. Hooker executed it well, especially early on. And I have to give, I have to give him and I have to give the coaches some credit here that there's No doubt they deserve credit because they came up with a game plan that worked. Now, it might have been because Miami wasn't ready, but it doesn't matter. It worked. And Hooker was quick. He was confident. He made some nice throws. And he even had a couple balls drop. So you look at the stat line, and it's 10 of 20. But it easily could have been 12 or 13 of 20.
1: I think early on, and I sent out a tweet about this, is he was missing passes early in the game. But where he was missing was this smart place for a new starter to miss. He was missing high without coverage behind. So like, you know, it's, I play video games, right? Like you shoot high and then you go down to the head and go for headshots. Like that's what he was literally doing. Like you could see he was missing to the right places early on getting his bearings about him. And then it slowly came into fruition for him. And it was, it was a a great, a great game plan for him. He protected the ball Had three TDs, 184 yards passing. His QBR rating was through the roof between that and getting one rushing touchdown on the ground. um, Another 76 yards on the ground. And no turnovers against a Miami defense. You can say whatever you want about their offensive line being an absolute disaster or whatever. They still have really great DBs. And he, um, he, he showed it with, his uh his feet and his arm and i didn't appreciate i should have because all the signs were there how important the rpo is to this offense and i think that's what i missed personally i don't know what you feel about it but i seeing it on the field again and getting back to the gerard evans kind of days and 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 seeing that on the field it has a huge
0: impact on this offense and yeah it's because we hadn't seen it for so long and and Willis can run and he's kind of quick with his feet, but so much of it is based on the reads and Hooker just seems to have a better knack for it. It's it's one game, but in this game it was so much better than it's been. It's it's hard to believe it's and from what we've seen even from Josh Jackson, when was the last time we saw Josh run at this effectively? Cuz even against Florida State, that was a defensive touchdown. That was some good special teams play or whatever. Maybe since like West Virginia was the last time I saw Josh run it that smooth. I mean, I don't know. He had a couple good games that year. So I'm just having a hard time thinking off of the top of my head, but it's been a while. It's been a while since we've seen a quarterback read and quickly go where he's supposed to go and and whatever. And Willis has played good games, but this was, it just looked a lot cleaner.
1: Yeah, and the the run where he shakes the three tackles uh, over to the left-hand side, I think the first one was from Quarterman, who is outstanding, is going to play in the NFL, I think almost unanimously, and then he shakes off two more tackles um, that lead up to the touchdown. That, I think, encapsulates what he's capable of doing and the difference that he makes. Honestly, it, it was... You know, I, I liked Willis's arm. I liked his ability to, you know, throw. But uh, this team really is just a different dimension when he's on the field in at least one game. Right. It's a sample size that we got to evaluate over the course of um, over the year. But it it looked a lot different.
0: 260 total yards for Hennon Hooker, a 95.5 QBR, which was second nationally for the week, I think, and on the year now, he's sixth nationally. Now, you have to go to the unqualified tab to find him because he hasn't played enough snaps. But it's it was a nice first performance. That is, that is for sure. Four total TDs in and of itself and no turnovers is is all you, all you could ever ask for from a first-time starter down in Miami. The tight ends blew up eight receptions, 159 total yards, and four touchdowns for them between Mitchell and Keene. Keene's breakout, man, I mean, where has this guy been? He had three touchdowns against Miami. that matches his career total. People were ripping all over Keane, and anybody that says that they weren't,
1: I read more posts. The only person I wasn't ripping on was was Keene, um mostly because i I talked him up so much last year that I had to you know kind of shut my mouth about it, but he was catching a lot of heat during that fight where's Keen? what's he doing and he just came out in this game and and showed up and those play calls were really nice that put him in positions to make those, those touchdowns Um, having him be more of the kind of the sneak guy to get into the, um, into the mid and really catch some of those passes. Um, So it it was, they were great play calls. It's not all just him, but he um, he showed up and Mitchell did as well. So those guys, those guys were what we thought coming into the season in this particular game, um, which is exciting.
0: You had McLeese uh, running decently in this game and King kind of had his first bad game. He, he had 12 rushes for 20 yards or so, something like that. But McLeese did score the late touchdown and the rushing game did have 156 yards, which for us is actually a nice total. Most of that was from Hendon Hooker or half of it at least. Uh, but Hey, we were able to move the ball a little bit on the ground and it opened up other things. And that one pass by Hooker is something I wanted to bring up, the one at the end that went to Hazleton because it was such an important pass and it was so beautifully thrown.
1: Yeah, I mean he hit him right in stride in like the perfect place. Uh I'm assuming you're talking about the one down the left sideline where yes, it was yes. just put on a on a dime. And um that that was our that was the the worry about what Hooker was going to be able to do is that type of pass that that's a hard pass to throw for anybody. And um, it was a really good one. I think it's a good solid start to something that people were really concerned about him coming in. I don't think anybody was worried about his ability to run his ability. I think in the RPO, I think we probably could have seen that coming and what that effect that would have on the team. And everybody was just worried about the the passing. There was a few that were off, but it's his first game. Like I don't I don't know how you can't evaluate a guy in in their first game in those types of situations other than putting up a stat line like that. I mean,
0: yeah. period and then and, making a tough you know, a couple tough throws. And you mentioned something to me about there being a lot of yards after catch. And so that that speaks to the the play calling and knowing that Hooker's not going to go out there and throw all like 10 dime passes to the sidelines. You know, he he did throw one, but he's not gonna be able to do that on a consistent basis. So they got guys the ball, and Keen was able to run after the catch. Mitchell was able to run after the catch. Like they they made it easy on him and it gave him confidence early and it worked well. So he was really fun to watch. I mean, I haven't had fun watching a tech game this year. That was the first time,
1: <laughs> yeah. and
0: it was largely because of the quarterback. Uh, I, I love having that real threat in the read-option game. It, like you have already said, it, it's so important. Uh, about the QBR, I did tweet out that after the Duke game last year, if we're going to speak about beginner's luck just a little, Ryan Willis was fifth nationally ahead of Will Greer in QBR after his Duke performance. And right now that's very – much what Hennon Hooker's doing. He's six. He's got the 90 QBR. We have to see what's going to happen. I'm, I love the excitement and I think he's going to be, they're different players. I I think he's a a better fit for what Fuente and Cornelson want to do. So that's a step in the right direction, but there is a reason why Hooker didn't beat out Willis and didn't beat out Jackson. You know, there, there is a reason why. And so whether that reason we ever see that reason. I don't know. I hope we don't because I wanted to keep playing. Well, I'm very
1: conservatively optimistic is where I would put it. It's, you know, it's one game and there wasn't a ton of film on hooker and to know that it, people knew what he was going to do, but that's different from seeing him on the field. I also think there's, you know, a lot of people talk about there's people that play well in practice. There's people that play well on the field and Those are always aren't the same people. And maybe he's a guy that just, you know, when the juice is flowing and he's out on the field, he makes plays happen. And I hope that's the the case. That said, every team has film on them now. Right. And now they kind of know what they have to play against. And Miami had to react. They did in the second half just so everybody's clear and And we'll get to that for sure. Yeah. But, um, so that's, that's kind of one of the, the keys is to remember that they do have film on him and they're going to know what his strengths are and they're going to try and scheme against it. And hopefully we're, you know, come up with plays to, to negate that. Do you want to talk
0: about the defense's positive stuff first, or just talk a little bit about, um, the offense's failures in the second half?
1: I think the defense is positives. I mean, they, I think they need some, some, some pats on the back for a lot of things they did. And I, we can probably start with just the turnovers. I, I mean, we were, we were up there in the nation in terms of turnover margin. Uh, a lot of the narrative that I've heard this week from people that didn't watch the game, but just like, look at the stat line was they were throwing the ball away or whatever the case may be. And, I, I think I tweeted this out during the game is or maybe it was right after I said, I'll I'll wait for French's review, but those looked like really good defensive plays that I saw on those interceptions. Not just, hey, this is a quarterback that's just kind of, you know, throwing it around and those are bad. I think probably of the five, you know, interceptions that we had, really it was should have been what, six, uh, if it wasn't for Hewitt and the then I think probably four of those were really good defensive plays, not necessarily a QB making a you know, terribly bad, stupid decision.
0: Yeah, I saw chances for at least three more interceptions because you had the one that got taken away in the Ladler one that came off because of the ticky-tack Hewitt penalty, which it, it was a penalty, but it was, it was a light one. <laughs> and then you had Farley dropping it or Falling out of his hands on the next play, was it was a tough play. And then later on, one went straight to Chamari Connor that he could have had, and, and he, yeah. he didn't quite catch it. And that was, that was kind of the weird thing about this game is that, yes, the defense did really let up in the second half. They were tired from being on the field a lot. The offense couldn't maintain drives, and it left them hanging, and Miami was going right down the field. But there was a few times in the game where we really could have blew them out. Like, if if one thing goes differently, like, if that penalty doesn't happen and the Ladler thing stands, this thing's a blowout. If, with eight minutes left, we were up 35-14, Miami had a fourth and sixth at our 24-yard line. And they converted it, scored a play later, and their comeback began. But at 35-14, if we stop that fourth down, like, we're going to kill them. There was a lot of times in this game where we could have put the nail in the coffin and we didn't. But I still want to credit us for being in that position, you know, because we did, you don't just get turnovers. A lot of times you have to force them. And, and like you alluded to, we were forcing turnovers and the DBs were playing well and we were playing aggressive. And that's something that we've seen us kind of contain, but I haven't seen so much aggression other than maybe in the Furman game. This, they maintained a pretty steady level of aggression, even when they were giving up plays.
1: Yeah, I mean it happened sadly during during the Duke game, the first quarter of the Duke game. This is how the defense was playing. Yeah, you know, I said it on, on Twitter. I was putting it out. I was like, "Man, this looks really really good." Obviously, that imploded on itself um, very very quickly. But they sustained it for the better part of, you know, two and a half quarters, call it, and then there was parts that absolutely, you know, fell apart. But they were on the field for a long time. And that's a second half. You know, we we joke around about the Tisdale, you know, throwing up on the field. Those dudes were gassed. And they they should have been. I mean, they were playing really hard. Miami's not an easy place to play. Right, right. Like coming down from there or from Virginia down there. It, the weather, you know, can can take a toll. We don't have a ton of depth at a lot of positions. So and the depth that we, you know, the players that we do have, we're trying to keep them on the field to keep the game in play. And I think they showed a lot of heart um, in what they were doing. And I, I got to give a lot of credit. I know it wasn't people are going to be really mad about this. And the fact that they were, we let the comeback happen, but I mean, those guys, they were still playing. They were playing hard uh, all the way to the final whistle. And you, you saw it even on right when Miami had a chance to win right you know i mean that's 10 yards to to tie up the game and potentially get a two-point conversion
0: and they held them in check there was no quit and the offense did what they had to do in scoring that td which after a team comes back on you like that that feeling that weight on your shoulders of like oh my god are we going to blow this like this team and the way they've responded at times that seems like a time then that we might have shut it down. And Hendon Hooker didn't allow that to happen, and the offense went right down the field and scored a touchdown, and that was awesome. Um, I do I do think that missing the extra point was just a little bit of a momentum swing that we needed. If they had been up, I don't know if it turns out the same way, but it didn't, and we responded, and it was awesome. And, and yes, the defense did play hard until the final whistle. I know they were getting carved up. And they were so tired, but, uh, but they played as hard as they could. And, and that's, that was the important thing to take from this game, is that they got the W somehow. And I I'm, was impressed. Seven sacks, nine tackles for loss. That's about that aggressiveness I was talking. You can see it right there. Uh, Ashby led us with 11 tackles, was named ACC Linebacker of the Week for the second time this year. Farley and Waller both had two picks. Tisdale, despite puking on the field, was awesome. Nine tackles, half a tackle for loss, and a big pass breakup at the end. Connor Jalen Griffin
1: was all over Connor and Tisdale. Look like an amazing combo together. Those two on the field are just, and Connor is just—he's such a physical dude. Like he is really a beast when you like watch him through a couple of his tackles. He literally was just on one of his pass breakups. He launched a wide receiver, I think about six yards in the air, like on the tackle, it, the, that dude is a monster. And I, I said it before, just on his ability to be around the field, but he has some physicality about him, Diablo and Floyd, uh, on the fumble that, I mean, they, they tag team that, and it, it was, it was beautiful Ashby. And that's not even getting to Ashby. Like you just said, it, like, there's just a lot of talent here that if it's put in the right place and the chess pieces are lined up appropriately can can be really
0: good. Yeah, Jalen Griffin I also wanted to mention because he had the one-and-a-half sacks, and he's looking better and better. For a guy that's a converted linebacker not so long ago, he's starting to play at a high level, and I'm glad because we we need defensive ends. With, with the garbage injury and just the guys being so young, it's nice that Jalen Griffin is really starting to emerge here. What's weird about our defense, because we do need to talk about the 563 yards, is that a lot of the individual players seem really good. Like you go through the names and you're like, yeah, he's pretty good, and Connor's pretty good, and Ashby, and blah blah blah. But as a whole, they still like it's not quite right, <laughs> and yeah. and that's it's really strange to say that. But I think you know what, like Waller and Farley and. Deshaun Sean Crawford and all these guys like, wow, we have some really good players on this defense, but they give up 563 yards. It's like, yeah. why isn't the whole better? It's
1: because of the, it, and I'm not, I, this isn't an excuse, right? Like I, I hate that. It's like, Oh, well you're just making excuses for them. It's, it takes time for the right hand to figure out what the left hand is doing and vice versa. Right? Like if you think about our best defenses, you know, you don't even know where you're going to be. You also know where the guy to your right's going to be. And you know, that, that I think is what is still building in this team. And that's Mm -hmm. why I think we could still, we could still have some really bad performances moving forward in ACC play. Absolutely. Because they, it takes time just to know like, Hey, when I go this way, somebody else is going to go cover that. Or I don't have to worry about this gap because I know he's got it down. So You know, you have players thinking is like, oh, is that gap going to be open? Because last time, what's his name, made a mistake and didn't cover that gap. So then you're trying to cover two and you end up covering neither of them, right? That kind of thing, I think, takes that cohesion takes time. And it doesn't take time just on the practice field. It takes time in real play. I mean, that's why, you know, you see teams, you know, across the nation that have veteran teams that don't have anybody that's going to get drafted to the NFL put out like a decent, like defensive product. I mean, and I think chemistry, right? Yeah. That's that's
0: what you're talking about. It's, it's knowing, like you said, where your teammates are going to be just having that, that intuition about your teammates. And that's what I'm hoping clicks like just one game. It's going to click. And then this defense is never going to look back. And they're going to be really good again. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. And, and a lot of the guys are still young, but some of the guys aren't. So it, it, I'm just waiting for that, for that light to just come on for the defense as a whole, because there is talent here that, that quote f- from, I guess it was after the Duke game about how there's no talent on that defense or that's going to the NFL. It's like, that's wrong. Like there, there is, it's just, it's not clicking as a whole.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, we see Farley coming every week. He gets better uh, every week. He, he's understanding more of it. And I am I maybe it never clicks. Right. Like we can be honest with ourselves and maybe it never clicks together. But to say that these guys aren't getting better week to week, I think it's it's just I think it's a fundamental oversight with frustration of the team and the record and where we are right now and, and what we think this defense should be but you can see the individual players getting better and you can see the talent that they have. And if, if you don't, then maybe you're just not looking at like what their individual plays are doing or the times that they do it. Right. The question is, is when, when can they all do it as cohesive unit? Mm -hmm. And I don't know how long that's going to take.
0: Yeah. And if the offense had just put together a couple of, of drives in that second half that didn't go three and out. I mean, we had five, three and outs in that second half and the other two drives went for four and five plays. If they were able to sustain some of that early great play, this defense, the yardage would have been a much different story because they would have been able to rest more and then it becomes exponential. And maybe this totals, around 400 or something instead of in the 500s but
1: and the the aggression pulled back a lot in the second half i mean it's on it and it's not a bad thing to say we were playing not to lose we were 14 point underdogs in this game right like (laughs) we just came off of a drubbing an absolute boat race against duke we should have been playing not to lose in the second once we had the lead we were playing
0: not to lose but that's all we knew in the game because we got a big lead just Uh, not handed to us, but it just happened so fast that then you're like, okay, we need to go into like control the game mode.
1: Right. And so I don't, for a, for a team that's still trying to come together, that doesn't have all the answers that doesn't know necessarily how they are as a cohesive unit. Like I would have loved for us to go in that second half and play as aggressive as we did kicking off the beginning, the first quarter of the Duke game or for the first half of, of that game. I also can't hate on it. Like we were playing not to lose. But, like this team was playing not to lose at that point. And guess what? That's the team that we have right now. Right. And eventually we'll get past that. But right now, that's where we are.
0: And I want to take that point to the next level after a beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? So right
1: now I am drinking um Paradox Breweries, uh, pure Anoradec. Uh Northeast Style Beaver Overbite Imperial IPA. It's got a lot of names on it. Uh, (laughs) I'm assuming that the Pure Andorodic is associated with uh, Paradox Brewery craft beer, and maybe that's the name of it, but that would give it multiple names. In any case, this was one of the beers I mentioned on the last podcast that I was going to review on this one. Charlie and Pam Stock sent it to us. Uh, They sent a little note with it. Uh, their son is a cadet at VT in his senior year. Um, they are, are crazy Virginia Tech football fans. They're from a small town up in New York on the Under Rock Mountains, and they sent this beer to us. I didn't review the last one because I wanted to review this one. It's 8.1% alcohol by volume, and it is delicious. It is a very, very good beer, and I don't know how often people make it up there or if this is a you know kind of a local place. I don't think they distribute. I've never seen it down here, but if you ever make it up that way, this is uh, an excellent Imperial
0: IPA and, um, and really, really good. Sounds good. I am also going to New York. This is from Utica. I'm drinking the Saranac Pumpkin Ale. I said last week I was going to drink a couple pumpkins on this episode. This might be the only one I do tonight, but... The Saranac Pumpkin Ale, it's it's very light. It's 5.3% alcohol, only 15 IBUs, so it's not bitter whatsoever. It's got a decent malt flavor to it, but not as much pumpkin or vanilla or nutmeg or whatever would be in a pumpkin-flavored beer. Not so much of that is coming through, but it's solid. It's it's a solid drink, and it's very light, so you can kind of take a bunch down if you wanted to. The Saranac Pumpkin Ale. The last thing I wanted to say about Miami, and this is what you were talking about right at the end there, was learning how to win is very important for young teams, and this was a step in the right direction, regardless of the blown lead, because they did show resilience, they did fight the entire time, and last year, other than UVA, we didn't see that a whole lot, so I really, I really think that just between Hooker starting and maybe that providing a little bit of a lift, and then just getting a win. Just just getting a win, no matter how ugly, how crazy, uh, I think it's super important for this young team because throughout the year now, you can turn around and, and point. Like, hey, remember that time? We did it here. Like, there's a time that you did it. And that makes a difference, the zero to one time.
1: Yeah, I think they could have, after they tied it up 35-35, I mean, and... That could have been the time to fold, not, you know, not driving down the field and scoring the touchdown to go up with the lead could have been, you know, that could have been a time that you, you stalled a little bit and didn't make that happen. And when Miami drove the field and they had a bunch of chances to score a touchdown right at the end, that could have been, you know, another time to tie it up and, and take it to overtime. So those are, um, those are times that you really have to, you know, coalesce as a team and understand, that um, you know, there there is a way to win. There is a way to kind of take out that game. I think you saw the locker room afterwards. Everybody was you know juiced up, excited. It, it gives something to to carry forward. What they're going to carry forward, you know, remains to be seen. So there's no way that I'm kind of walking away thinking. I have no more concerns about this team, no more concerns about a lot of things that we talked about. And people joked around that, you know, we're eating crow after this game and in some respect, and I don't really feel that way. I feel, I feel better about the team. I'm still want to see it all kind of coalesce into games and what they do carrying forward. It, at the end of the day, it, it, it's one, it's one game and it's still going to be something that is has to develop over the course of the season and i'm ready to be patient with that i wasn't ready to be patient if this game was another blowout that would that would have been really disappointing but to see that they had their their resolve to to push forward and get the w gives me more confidence that they'll figure out like you said how to win games moving forward
0: i'm definitely eating crow on the result of the game because I didn't think we were going to beat Miami. I really thought there was very little chance we were going to beat Miami and I will own that. They responded in a way that I didn't think this team was capable of. And I had no faith that Hendon Hooker was going to be able to go through a whole game and not turn the ball over. And all those things happened and we turned them over five times. And I did say the only way we're going to get to 30 points is if we get some turnovers and that's exactly what happened. I'm still I'm still in shock a little bit about what happened on Saturday because th- this was a completely different team. Fuente looked different on the sidelines. Like his his body language was so much better in this game throughout. He was much more fired up. Does this win change my opinion on him uh, being the guy going forward? Well, we didn't come or at least I didn't come to the opinion that he needed to go out the door overnight. So I'm not going to just change the conclusion I came to after the Duke game overnight either. It took me a, a long time and a lot of really weird stuff and bad looks for the school to get to that point. So yes, I am extremely happy for Hooker and the players in that locker room that we won this game. Uh, as far as it buying Fuente time, all wins are going to buy a guy time. <laughs> that's how, That's how it works. Um, but the, the short answer is uh, no, it doesn't change my mind but it's more complex than that.
1: I think it's a different thought process than that. And you and I went through the last podcast and we talked repeatedly off breaks and stuff in between the podcast how we we wanted to not be hard on the players. We wanted to be hard on the coaches. I think players can win one game. I think coaches win multiple games, right? I think that is the difference is the ebbs and flows of the players is going to happen. The ebbs and flows of Coaches have to be evaluated on a longer timeline overall, and that remains to 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 be seen. They found a way between the coaches and the players to come out with a lot of energy on the road and beat a Miami team with a very good defense, a very bad offense, uh, as we've well seen. And their offensive line is atrocious, but I'm I'm just really happy.
0: For all of them, like, honestly, really, really happy. I mean, I'm really happy to stick it to Miami because (laughs) it feels good to beat them. What for the first time since 2016. So uh, to go out there and get all those turnovers and all those sacks and and feel like vintage Virginia Tech, even if it was for one afternoon against our old rival from the Big East, you know, that Miami is our rival, at least in our heads. I don't know if they feel that way. That was I hope sweet. they do the way they've been performing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a sweet, sweet result on Saturday afternoon. Let's uh, let's move on to Rhode Island. We we've given this this just due, and and now we get a game that hopefully we can flex our muscles in. Maybe they take this newfound optimism and and uh, and momentum and play it forward a week into Rhode Island and really. Put the hammer down on a team they should put the hammer down on. That's what we wanted against ODU. It's what we wanted against Furman, and we didn't get it. So maybe it happens here. What do you think's going to happen?
1: Uh, I don't think it's going to happen at all. Uh, I, I, I don't, and I'm not being like I, I hope it happens. I hope they go out there and win fifty to seven or fifty to three and pull Wisconsin that they've done like a million times this year. I think this is the perfect time to. If they're capable of getting out to a 21 point lead, just sit on it and just let it ride. The, the, like Fuente is not going to go. He may get some like heat from like some of our fan base, like you know the the people that just want to give him heat and et cetera and and want him out for a win that's 28 to seven and say, hey, well you should have beat Rhode Island in this game. This is the perfect time for to reset, put in other players. The worst thing that can happen to Fuente in this game, in my mind is first of all, a loss would be (laughs) unthinkable. Like that, that would be, I I don't even want to go there, but the worst thing that could happen is a couple of injuries that are just weird Mm -hmm. injuries that happen in this game. And I think he knows that. And I think he's going to be trying to suit up the armor for what's ahead to try and, you know, battle out the rest of the season. And I'm not going to blame him for that. I also think that's the right decision is there's no reason to lose a Tisdale. There's no reason for Farley to go out. There's no reason to, you know, exacerbate, you know, put Crawford in there and then have that, you know, blow up in your face. There, there's no reason for that. There's, there is for some teams like a Wisconsin, they're, they're making a run, for a national to make the playoff i mean they're literally making a run so when they stomp all these teams first of all they have more depth than we do and that's why they're trying to do it is to show hey we're you know us stomping rhode island has no national narrative no. Impar- it, it it implications it's not going to do much for the fan base you may feel good the next day and be like oh well we won 56 to nothing that'll last about 12 hours for you an injury or two injuries or people not being ready for the upcoming weeks after that is going to have a lot longer lasting effect on you than, than curb stomping Rhode Island.
0: We don't need the style points is, is what you're trying to say that Wisconsin needs and Clemson needs and all the teams trying to make the playoff need. We need convincing victories because it means we're playing well and that we're playing better. That's, that's why we need them. And the other greatest weapon we have right now is the unknown of Hendon Hooker. You, you want to go into the UNC game with as little valuable tape on Hooker as possible. I would imagine the game plan will be super vanilla for this game. And, and the reason for that is Rhode Island is 1-4. and four. They're 0-3 in their conference. They are an FCS team. They play in one of the better divisions in FCS, and they did take Delaware to overtime who famously played Pitt close. But their only win is against Brown, and that was a close game. Uh, they lost to Ohio by 21 points. They're 183rd in Sagarin. This is not a football team that we should ha- be on the field with, really. Like they, they We shouldn't even play this team. We shouldn't have been playing this team because ECU was supposed to be on our schedule. Uh, they're not good. They're 183rd out of 257 teams rated by Sagarin. They're they're closer to the bottom than they are to the top. We need to go out and wipe the floor with them, and hopefully we can do that with Quincy Patterson in the game and all the freshmen in the game and all the backups. It's it's one of those games, like you said, you gotta escape without injuries because one key injury to Hendon Hooker or Ashby or Caleb Farley. This team is screwed. Like we can't afford injuries to certain guys.
1: Yeah, and it, it's not. It's not that I think all things are off the table. Ever since the ODU game, I'm just kind of yeah. like, who knows what's going to happen in any game. That's where I think Hokie fans are at the, these days. Oh, absolutely. Oh so, no, I didn't mean to say that
0: Rhode Island couldn't possibly win. Yeah, <laughs> they, so they
1: could possibly win. My, my, I guess my hope is is that we can get out to decent lead and then just kind of sit on it and put in everybody that deserves to have reps and to get them experienced in games. And if the result ends up being 24 seven, the fans are probably going to go crazy and I'll probably just sit there and be like, yeah, that's, that's fine with me. Like just get out of it clean, just move on, get ready for what's ahead, get reps for some depth players that need it that haven't seen the field because we've been struggling a lot so you know it's we've had to keep our, our you know our our first team in there that's that's what i'm hoping happens in this game and um if if there's some people out there that are, are already saying like if this isn't a 54 to 7 game then you know that, that's a travesty it, i don't think of it that way i think of it as like get in get out and just move on to the next one and i hope that's how clean
0: it goes I would have been in that camp at the beginning of the season, but that's not where I am now. You are 100% right. This is 28-0, uh, 34-10, whatever. If you can escape with multiple scores and a victory, let's just do it because UNC is so important. We have six games left to get to bowl eligibility, including UNC, Notre Dame, Pitt, Wake, GT, and UVA, and none of those are gimmies. No. But none of them, except for maybe Notre Dame, are you know, not winnable. we could we could win almost all of those games, except for maybe Notre Dame, which I don't think we could win. But hey, every feeling I've had this season has been wrong, so maybe I'll be wrong again. Uh, some things you should know about Rhode Island. They're a pass first team. They're I think they're number one in the conference in terms of pass yards per game. Serious threats on the outside in Aaron Parker and Isaiah Coulter. Both those guys have over 500 yards and over four TDs each. Uh, Zoe Bryant's their lead back. Nothing really to speak of. Another guy to watch is Amir Dorsey. Good return guy. He's caught 20 passes for nearly 300 yards, but also has 85 rushing yards. Their O-line, it's probably not very good. They've given up 12 sacks, but they do throw a lot. So... (laughs) We should dominate the line of scrimmage uh, on the, on the defensive side and also on the offensive side of the ball when we're playing offense because their defense is bad. It's 109th in total defense in FCS. I don't even like total defense, but it's the only stat I could find on Rhode Island. So at 109th uh, giving up 6.68 yards per play, uh, that's that's not going to be good for them even even against our you know somewhat sputtering offense, we should be able to put up some points on this team.
1: It's hard to find anything on them. You and I joked beforehand, if you go to ESPN on on their team, it literally only shows kicking stats and defensive stats. You can't actually find the stats on the rest of the team. So we both had to go to Rhode Island's individual, like their actual webpage to look for the stats on there. They do have eight interceptions on the year. They're One of their guys his name is Mabai M B Y E he's got I four interceptions on the on the year um two more for fumbles recovered uh for the year four forced but they got too bad. two of them uh, converted so I, there's not a lot to pull out of all of this and if you try and find their games then um hopefully you're using like a Uh, some sort of ham radio that i'm not sure uh i can actually get anything on so it's tough to find stats on them all the more reason their qb is pretty efficient on the year he's at 65 completion percentage i think uh you referenced that after that it's we should win this game it should not be problematic i hope it's not problematic
0: yeah and the qb is also not a runner which should suit us well uh it's always easier to defend and not real running threat at quarterback. They've got one linebacker, uh, Brandon Javier Castillo, I wanted to mention because he's leading the CAA, their conference in tackles. So he'll probably make a lot of tackles on Saturday. The other thing about their defense is they only have five sacks. So they're, and that's in five games. So they're not exactly getting after the quarterback very well. Um, I'm expecting some weird stuff to happen in this game, just like Furman. It may not go smooth for all 60 minutes, but we should dominate both lines of scrimmage. We really should. And that's what I want to see. Maybe we go over 200 yards rushing again. Cause the only other time we did that was against an FCS team against Furman. So hopefully King and McLeese are both getting good runs and, and hooker. And maybe if Quincy comes in the game, they're getting a lot of yardage on the ground as well. Cause I want to see that run game continue to, to develop. Want to build up that nice lead and get the guys rested. Uh, Maybe guys like Grimsley can get back on track. He only has one catch for nine yards in the last three games. Um, maybe Trey and Hoyt get healthy this week. They're not they're not gonna play. I wouldn't imagine those two guys are gonna they haven't played uh they didn't play the last game, so I would hope that by UNC or maybe by Notre Dame, we'd have Trey and Hoyt both back healthy. I would imagine Trey really wants to play against UNC because that's where he's from and and Hooker's from there there and they're both really good friends. Uh, so ho- hopefully we have those guys back because if we if we all of a sudden added Trey to Hazleton and the other receivers and Keen now playing well, that's what we were expecting. You know, that's the 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 wide receiving and tight end core we were expecting all year, and we haven't had it in the same game yet. Yeah, I agree with that. I
1: it's still there. It's just not prominent, and that that's the frustrating part. It's yeah, it's very difficult for me to imagine that set of wide receivers if they're all healthy and all in the field not being an elite set of wide receivers i i, I think they are we've seen them play individually we've played the they you've seen robinson there's just so much uh, mitchell even sometimes you know shows up there's just so much talent there that if you have even a serviceable uh pass threat then we should be getting and, and maybe it's the route running maybe i, I haven't really figured it out yet of what the problem is and grimsley i i don't understand that like i like i don't he was so good for a period of time and we st- we still and maybe it's injuries is what it is we see these ebbs and flows with our players that are you know hazelton was out for a period of time grimsley you know i don't know what it is but they're as a core those are that is a, a really good core of wide receiving talent that we have at this point, and to take advantage of it would be great. And I think with Hooker in now and seeing it live, it opens up those guys a lot. Um, it forces you know the everybody to pull forward and worry about that rum threat and and to really open up the back end and. I think it it could be really special, and it's not that much dissimilar to what happened with Gerard when he used to be in the game, where everybody would pull up and worry about the run and worry about it. granted, hooker is more uh shifty running back they're ar shifty quarterback than you know Ger- Gerard was more of a bruiser up the middle, like he could make you pay for it, but both of them are threats in their own right, and it's it's just really exciting to see it back in action, and it's almost like we forgot what it used to look
0: like. <laughs> I know, man, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. My thoughts on UNC, since I won't be around a preview next week's game, UNC is 78th in yards per play and 77th in yards per play on defense. Uh, so both offense and defense, they're not like, it doesn't seem like to performing that well, but they've played the 10th hardest schedule in the nation. According to Sagarin, there are three losses are the three undefeated teams in Wake, App State, and Clemson. So I have a feeling that UNC is kind of good, and th- that worries me. Having them at home you'd think would be an advantage, but we haven't exactly played very well at home. They're coming off of a bye, which we just got Miami off of a bye, so we know it doesn't always mean they're gonna, the team's going to beat you. They, they can come out flat. So I have no clue what's going to happen in that UNC game. Absolutely none. I don't think the Rhode Island game is going to give me any more of a clue. I'm hoping we can win because we, we need that game for bowl eligibility. If, if I'm just looking at those six games I mentioned, I don't feel great about Notre Dame, Pitt, or Wake. GT and UVA I feel better about, and UNC would be the third on that list. So those are the three wins we need because Rhode Island, this game doesn't matter for a bowl like we've already got an FCS win. So even even if we lose to Rhode Island, it doesn't make our chances for a bowl any worse. It doesn't count essentially. So we need to beat UNC, GT and UVA. Those would be the three most winnable games in my opinion in order to go to a bowl. Uh so if you drop the UNC game, you had now have to win 3 out of 5. It makes it exponentially harder. It's a very very important game. I I hope we can win, but I think that freshman quarterback that they have, is pretty good. And I, I did think that about Miami too. So maybe Bud does something that screws him up as well. That's, that's the best we can hope for. We're eating crow a little
1: bit on Mac Brown and, uh, and we say Mac Brown, but the assistance he brought in, right, That's really what it is. And, um, I might spend while you were out talking a little bit about this, but It's all on the table for this team because everybody was making fun of the ACC just in general. Wake Forest looks really good, really good. I mean, they're playing really good football. UNC is playing really good football. UVA is still ranked 20th in the nation. If you have a slate ahead of you to make this a really good year, or a really, really bad year, and it's in front of you, and so um, I know because
0: you look at those games and you literally could lose all of them yeah, or you could win all of them. I mean, <laughs> like, and if you win all
1: of them, it's not, gonna Notre ca-
0: Dame not you know I, I still kind of maintain that that's that the way they played Georgia just it, it just makes you very scared of that game.
1: Yeah, I didn't. uh, That's why I didn't mention Notre Dame. But that's the fifth. (laughs) That's the fifth out of those. I mean, that's. Oh, I got you. There's five really good games there, and Georgia Tech is really well coached. Um, It's good. They they just don't have the talent. They don't have. The personnel, I should say, not the talent. The personnel right now to fit their scheme, so that makes it difficult for them. They're they're doing an overhaul like you've never believed. You think they make what we're going to have to do after Bud leaves look like a joke, going from triple
0: option into a traditional offense. But they they still, if you you don't do know what well, they could look like in a few weeks, you know they're yeah. they're getting they're trying to get better every week, and they put up twenty two points on UNC when Clemson could barely muster that. So. you just don't know (laughs) this. my point is is that
1: this Virginia tech team has as much to prove either way going ahead of them, positive or negative. Like if you, if you get a good, a bunch of good wins against the, that lineup, it's going to look good. Like wait, those are good teams. Like they're well-respected teams across the country right now. Uh, so that's, you're in a place where it's, it's up to you. Right? Like what what do you want to make this season? And it's still on the table. It's not gonna be what, you know, maybe I thought it was gonna be, but it's all on the table right now for them to turn this into a season. And it's all gonna be about how this team coalesces into
0: a cohesive unit on both sides of the ball. Yeah, man. I, I the Miami game has changed it changes the perspective on extending the ball streak drastically because Going into that Miami game, it felt almost impossible, at least to me and probably to a lot of other fans because people who listened to our podcast last week, we got more positive feedback on that podcast, which tells me and should tell you as well, like a lot of people felt the exact same way we did. <laughs> they, they, It seemed hopeless, but that Miami game and the resiliency shown by the team, it gave us hope to make this ball streak continue. So the UNC game is really going to be the next step in whether we still have hope for that. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see what happens and I'll be watching it in Maui. So that would be cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I always compare it back to everybody knew after the second game of last year that Louisville was just done. Like the team gave up Florida state gave up after two games, after we beat them, they gave up on the season and that's, I was worried that that's what was going to happen. Honestly, I was really worried that that like there's a difference between just losing the rest of the games or like, you know, not playing well the rest of the games and then the, the team giving up and they didn't give up and that's that's a huge huge credit to the players on this team because you watched Louisville. It, the joke was always that the the spread kept like getting bigger and bigger in all yeah. of Louisville's games, and they still would, got beaten by the spread. Like yeah. they Vegas lost. couldn't was, keep up
0: with how yeah. much they quit. how
1: bad because the because <laughs> the players just didn't care. And if nothing else, that Miami game shows that the players do care, and that's important. And I think that's you know a testament to what they're doing and playing on the field.
0: Alright, let's do a beer break before we make our picks and sign off. I am drinking the Orchata by the Brewery. Uh Orchata is a like a creamy rice uh cinnamon drink, and you've probably had rum chata in the past, kind of tastes like cinnamon toast crunch. And so this beer is similar to that. It's a blonde ale brewed with rice, lactose, cinnamon, and vanilla. And it is awesome. It it tastes just like it's described. Uh, so much flavor. The lactose obviously brings in some of the sweetness, 7.2% alcohol. I picked this up when I was down in Richmond. on my buddy Nick's house. Uh, it was part of the, the beer tasting we were doing all day. The brewery is from placenta, California. That doesn't sound quite right. I, maybe it's placentia. Uh,
1: <laughs> I think my wife had uh, one of those during our birth <laughs> delivery. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think it's placentia. That sounds better. <laughs> Uh, the brewery is spelled B R U E R Y, but this beer is awesome. It's O R X A T A, and I believe it's pronounced horchata, like the uh, like the milky drink. But yeah, man, I would recommend this thing. What are you drinking? So I went.
1: I'm not a big New Belgium fan. I've made that I think clear on here a few times. Uh, nothing against them, but the, I just there's nothing I ever really stick to. New Belgium put out a special release. It's called the Oakspire bourbon barrel ale it's a collaboration uh for all of our bourbon uh drinkers out there with knob creek and don't get all snooty on me it's knob creek it's not probably your your favorite you know bourbon but it's a collaboration with them it's nine percent and gotta say i really like it uh even though you know new belgium's never my go-to so they put in like it says it has smooth notes of toffee, vanilla, and this one should be great. Uh, either caramel or caramel, however you want to pronounce it, <laughs> since we have so many people out there that are, have an opinion about about these things. Uh, has one of those, which really, I think, kind of subdues uh, a lot of the bourbon in there. So I was expecting kind of like a hefty at 9% bourbon barrel-aged uh, dark beer, but it's a little bit lighter than I would have expected. Overall, it's delicious. It's a, a great beer. I don't know how widely distributed it is. I mean, it's New Belgium, so obviously it's pretty wide distributed given I'm getting it here.
0: But it's like a it's, special release or something.
1: Yeah, well it just it's a special release, but I I got it at Whole Foods. So like I didn't yeah, like not go. That to, special. <laughs> yeah, I didn't go to like a you know, a packy and go get it or anything like that. So it it's it's pretty good. I, I, I really like it actually. And if they have a, another, you know, six pack or two, I'll probably go back and get it. It's cause it's not as intense bourbon as you usually get, which you have to kind of prepare for. It's, it's really good. I like it. It's the Oakspire, uh, bourbon barrel from, uh, new Belgium with knob Creek as their collaboration.
0: You like pretty much any beer that is made in a bourbon barrel. Like yes, <laughs> you—that's you, like your thing. You really do enjoy that.
1: Well, I drink so many like I. Everybody, I. It's like the running joke. I drink so many IPAs and double IPAs that it kind of cuts into it. So like a good a good flavored beer, but the bourbon beer is just like they add like a whole new. Flavor to it, and sometimes they 're too intense we 're like I'll they just can have be wine. so intense for
0: yeah. me it's I gotta find the sweet spot with those things because sometimes it 's just like this tastes gross i i, I need it to kind of be a maybe maybe a little easier i 'm not sure, but that one sounds like I would enjoy it, yeah, this would be right up your alley all right let 's do the picks and let 's run through these as quick as we can we're doing uh number twenty u v a going to Miami, a team we just talked about for forty five minutes. Uh, Miami, can they have the same bounce back that we did against them? They are two-point favorites against the ranked Wahoos. Robbie, who you got?
1: The line's been moving towards Miami, if anybody has been watching it. I'm going Miami on this for no more reason. I think UVA, from an offensive perspective, is more talented by far. Their defense is probably more talented. This is purely just a bounce-back pick at a home game.
0: I like Miami as well. I, I I agree with the the bounce back, and I agree with um, UVA having a stronger defense. I disagree with them having a stronger offense. I think Perkins makes that thing go, and everything else is kind of a happy accident. So I, I'm I'm rooting for Miami, and I'm hoping they can pull off the win. This is an important game for Virginia Tech because it
1: influences how the coastal works overall. So Definitely. I did, will say that today, uh, Manny Diaz said that he's changing his role over to covering the defense. So really? he didn't, yeah, he didn't like specify what it was. It may be out there now, but I saw like on, um, some of the feeds. So he's changing his role. Cause he got so frustrated, and I'm I'm pretty sure this wasn't like spam bait, like just out there. That he's changing his role to take more control. He's going to be part of all the defensive practices, which uh, was a little bit weird to me. But there's
0: something going on hmm. there.
1: So uh, you yeah, know, keep your eyes on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, number six, Oklahoma playing number eleven, Texas. This is the Red River Showdown. I think that's what it's called now. Rivalry and- <laughs> shootout. <laughs> well, the- Red River shootout rivalry, and now I think it's the showdown. Played in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Oklahoma, ten and a half point favorites in a rivalry game. Give me those points. I'm taking Texas. I'm taking Texas as well. Uh, Oklahoma last week didn't
1: show as much firepower as I would have expected. So against Kansas, yeah, and
0: and so did you see the mid- picture of the girl knitting yes. in the stands?
1: Yeah. <laughs> And Kansas played it pretty well. Kansas is for all our jokes about Mac Brown and everybody. And it, like Kansas played less, miles, pretty yes. less miles. No, no. I meant about like old coaches. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That are coming back into the fold. They, they've been playing pretty well this year for what anybody for would exp- what Kansas for-
0: normally is absolutely to go up to Boston and beat BC, that's not yeah. something a normal Kansas team would do.
1: Yeah, so as much as we're making fun of it, no, I didn't I didn't actually think that Mac
0: Brown was coaching Kansas. <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying now. <laughs> FSU at number two Clemson. Clemson is twenty seven point favorites. That is the same amount that they were favored against syracuse and about the same amount they were favored against unc so i i guess the odds makers are just like mailing it on clemson they're like just put it at 27 see what happens uh i'm gonna take florida state uh i don't feel particularly good about it because y- you think like clemson's gonna be ready for that get right game after playing unc too close but fsu was getting better they're not the joke that that we think they are, or that the 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 masses think that they are. They've beaten two ACC teams. Their two losses are to UVA and Boise State, two very respectable teams to lose to, and both games are close. I'll take FSU to cover twenty-seven.
1: No, I I I totally understand that pick. I'm not going to take it. Um, and I do think FSU is a lot better than you know the jokes have kind of uh, led them to believe to be. My thing is Clemson's got to turn it on at some point. It, it like they need to have a route in one of these games because now it's actually starting to impact their rankings. They drop from number one to number two. They're, they're starting to fall down. Most people think that they, they could be number three. Some people have them at like number five or six in the nation. At some point you've got to like turn it on. So and they don't have any marquee
0: games. So they're yeah. going to have to do it with margin of victory.
1: Yeah, so I think this might be the week they do. Trevor Lawrence hasn't looked as good as he probably should. Uh, This might be the time that they're like, hey, you know, it's a big name. It's not a big program by, you know, definitions of rankings or anything like that, but it's a name that'll catch some headlines. So this might be the time that they try and turn on the afterburners.
0: Could be. USC at Notre Dame, another rivalry game. USC is not ranked, but Notre Dame is. They are number nine and they are eleven point favorites. I'm taking USC out of principle. Maybe that's wrong, but it's uh it just seems like too many to me. USC's been competitive this year. They 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 have been. I mean, they they have the best underutilized
1: talent in the entire country by far. And um you're making me rethink my pick. Um I had Notre Dame. I'm gonna get flipped to. I'm gonna flip to USC actually, and I don't know why. And I'll probably, uh, I'll probably regret this, but I think you're thinking about things more logically
0: than I am. I don't know, man. I had a bad week last week. <laughs> you might not want to listen to me. Uh, number ten, Penn State going to Iowa. Uh, Iowa's number seventeen after losing to Michigan last week. Penn State three and a half point favorites on the road. I can go first. Penn State. Iowa,
1: I, I people. This in Penn State and Michigan are not the same team. Michigan's defense is amazing. Their offense is trash, and it, it is really, really bad. I think Penn State comes out and they are not getting their offense has looked so good. Their defense looks really, really good. I'm so excited for next year and when we play them and get maybe drubbed by them. But I
0: think Penn State's <laughs> gonna take down take down Iowa this is a night game in Iowa Iowa does not play well as an underdog on the road but an underdog at home that's when they spoil your season and I've seen it too many times from Iowa against Penn State growing up rooting for Penn State with my my mother and all my aunts and uncles going there I am taking Iowa at home to at least cover the three and a half point spread I love that hook that's still there it was four earlier now it's three and a half uh, I'm taking Iowa
1: Next you can game, send a message to them after I'm the one that uh picks them and you don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I will. I will. Uh Florida going to LSU. Florida's number 7 after beating Auburn, something neither of us picked. Uh and they're playing number 5 LSU. If Florida wins this game, they have a real case and people have been saying to be number 1. Like that's it it they'd have a real case at it because they beat yeah. Auburn. And now, if they were to beat a number five LSU team, in addition, I mean, I guess beating Miami doesn't really matter anymore. But they beat Kentucky on the road, they they would have beaten two very good teams in Auburn and LSU. Uh, it's a thirteen point spread, though, and that's uh, what's a little like crazy to me. I
1: almost dropped an F bomb on like our PC. No chance. Um, I'm like a thirteen LSU is by all accounts really 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 good but there's no chance that I can do that. Maybe i am I'm gonna look like an idiot. LSU wins that's twenty four That's like <laughs> I'm I'm taking Florida. I'm I'm not second guessing myself. I'm, I'm Florida looked really good about against Auburn. Their defense looks nasty, just disgusting nasty. Like they are really really good. LSU looks like a great team. They are amazing but I got to stick with what makes sense and that's Florida and
0: maybe the odds makers want me to stick with what makes sense. Yeah. I have Florida highlighted as my pick and that's, I'll stick with it. But just the size of that line makes me think maybe LSU is the right pick, but um, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Florida. Like I feel like me and you are similarly minded this week. The only one we picked different, I guess we picked Penn state and Iowa different. And we picked Clemson and FSU different, correct? Yes. Yeah. You you picked Clemson,
1: and we're um, at on the year. So I I started about we tied um, last week, yes.
0: And you were up by two, I think on in our picks on the site. On the pickems, mm-hmm. different. We are we are tracking our picks on the site as well, uh, just the games we pick on the podcast. And Robbie was up two last week. Yeah. We tied, so he's still up two. And now we have two different so maybe we'll get some separation this week.
1: Yeah, it was fifty I have I started I was started at like fifty nine percent on the year for their like the first two weeks and then uh I'm down to fifty one percent and you're up to forty eight percent on the year. Yeah. So it is uh we're we're uh Striving towards our normal year where <laughs> yeah, we neither both- of us
0: are close to uh sixty, but uh we're doing our best to try to stay above that five hundred marker. I'm trying to get there. Yeah. So we'll see. Um yeah, that LSU Florida game is gonna be really interesting, man. I, I <laughs> I'm excited. Florida, I've I've been doubting Florida. I was doubting Auburn. Then when the moment I pick them, they go out and they lose, and I was doubting Florida before that. So I don't have a handle on this SEC this year, and there's a lot of good teams in that conference.
1: For, and Auburn should have won that game. They had, they had two players that both tripped up that should have had touchdowns. Oh, the, the fat guy touchdown? They had two <laughs> two touchdowns that they, they screwed up um, that literally were people just tripping over their own feet. So Auburn actually should have won that game, um, and not handily, but they should have won it by a
0: touchdown. So... Uh, they caused their own
1: fate on that one.
0: I don't even have a spread for our game, and nor, nor does it matter. Uh, I hope we go out there and we put up enough points to get the guys some rest. Pretty much all of my feelings towards Virginia Tech football have been wrong this year. The only feeling that was correct was that we would beat ODU and it wouldn't cover. But every other game, BC I thought we'd win, wrong. Furman I thought we'd lose, wrong. Duke, I thought we'd win. Wrong. Miami, I thought we'd lose. Wrong. I've been wrong every game except for the ODU game. I it makes me not even want to say what I think think about Rhode Island, but um, I think we all know that we should go out there and put up a good performance this weekend, and I hope that's what happens.
1: Well, I, well, we have to put something out there because we have people there saying that whatever we pick ends up. So, um, should I should I just say that we? We'll, everybody's like whatever you guys say is the opposite happens so should i just be the guy that's like hey we lose i i can't but how about we win a close game like uh, we'll just leave okay. it at that i mean yeah if, yeah if we if we lose to rhode island i mean the we none of us want that because no, i mean no, That that's the,
0: that would be devastating for the, the universe program. is
1: going to uh implode this is this is very different than losing to ODU this is like a whole different echelon of football program that we're playing against here and Furman if Furman played what do you think Furman played
0: Rhode Island right now what do you think
1: the score would be
0: just to put this in that, perspective. that's a that's a good question I, I honestly think that uh that Rhode Island would make it close because they played just about every team within one score this year besides Ohio who's an FBS team Every other FCS team they've played, including Delaware, who's pretty good, they've played within one score or took to overtime. So it's it's weird. I feel like they could keep it within one score to Furman. So does that put us at fourteen points better than Rhode Island? I think that's it. That's a good way to put it. That's what I was going for. Is
1: yeah, okay. it's a fourteen point spread, uh, and I will take I'll take the over. You'll take
0: you'll take us to cover a fourteen point spread.
1: Yeah, like by, I think we'll win by 15 somehow. There's definitely going to be a safety somewhere.
0: <laughs> I like it, man. I am not going to do it because I already told you how bad my feelings have been. But <laughs> I uh, I have a renewed hope for the team and the players. Um, you notice I'm leaving the coaches out because of that win against Miami. It was awesome. And I, I don't want that to be lost just because we didn't predict it or just because the defense kind of stunk in the second half. No, we beat Miami a rival in our division. If you look at the BC game and you look at the Miami game, look five turnovers, five turnovers. We probably should have won or lost both those games, but we actually won the better one because it was against a coastal team. So that's, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Maybe the BC game was a fluke. Uh, that we should have won in our direction. And it's the opposite in the Miami game. So things kind of have a way of evening themselves out, but it actually worked out better. Cause we got a coastal win.
1: I like that perspective.
0: It's a good one. All right. You can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2dvt, 2dvt.com is a website. Robbie, <clears throat> Robbie has been tracking all the stats. I recommend you check it out. It's, it's actually pretty cool. And and he keep, he's keeping stats that you can't find on any site on the internet. So Definitely check that out. All of our beers, podcasts, you can stream them on the site, 2DVT at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, and on Instagram, it's also at 2DVT. We're going to try to post some more pictures. We've been a little bit bad about it this year, but usually you're just getting beer pictures from us, but that's okay. You you like beer if you're listening to this podcast.
1: Pete's going to send pictures, and I'm now putting him on the spot. He's going to send some pictures from
0: Hawaii. Yeah, I'll see if I can get some nice Hawaiian beers. Maybe we'll we'll do that. And Maybe if I do anything cool, like extra cool, maybe if it has something to do with football, I'll try to post a picture.
1: Maui Brewing Company, man, just uh, go hit up all all the good stuff down there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I got, I definitely got to get to a brewery while I'm while I'm over there. Uh, all right, that's gonna do it for the podcast. Until next time, go Hokies.